Dear friends in Jesus Christ, great to see you today. We are continuing to work through our Advent Christmas booklet. I hope you're doing so. There are copies available in the back if you don't have one. If you haven't started already, today is the perfect day to begin. You can begin reading, thinking, answering, and praying. It only takes a few minutes each day, and that's a helpful way to get into these important readings that surround the prophecies pointing to our Savior and then also his actual birth in Bethlehem. So please, join me on the journey. Today we're going to look at days 10, 11, and 12 in the booklet. I want to take a look at what I shared with you already and then expand on it a little bit more. Going to day 10 we find out where the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. We're looking at Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The Bible says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Thinking about what Micah wrote, he mentioned Bethlehem Ephrathah. So I want to talk about that for a moment. He did that because there are actually two Bethlehems, or I should say there were a long time ago two Bethlehems. You can see on the map there that there was one in the north. So the one in the north is near where Nazareth is located today. And the one in the north, that's in the territory that was given to the 10th son of Jacob. The 10th son has the name of Zebulun. So it was up in that area. That Bethlehem is no longer in existence today. But Bethlehem Ephrathah, that's the place where Micah identifies that Jesus would be born. And that one is in the south. It is down near Jerusalem. And that is in the land given to the fourth son of Jacob. And the fourth son is Judah. So just to make that distinction. Sometimes when we hear somebody predict something, they're like, oh, someday you're gonna meet like a tall, dark stranger. And then we think, oh, I just met some guy and he seemed to be fairly tall. And I think that was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Well, that's not how God works. God is very specific. God knows all things in advance. And he told us right here through Micah what would happen. And then we go on to Luke chapter 2, verse 4, a little bit of the Christmas story. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. So what we're seeing here is part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. Well, keep in mind with Joseph, he was a descendant of David, and what was required of him, he had to return to Bethlehem in order to register and also in order to pay the tax. When he went, Mary went with him. Mary is also a descendant of David. And while they were living there in Bethlehem, that is when she gave birth to the Savior. When we think about Bethlehem, it was a very insignificant town. We just sang the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Maybe the hymn could have been called, 
old little insignificant town of Bethlehem. That's what it was, but yet God knew that it would become a famous town, so famous that we're like many years ago, hey, why don't we name our church after this little insignificant town in Bethlehem? So that's what happened here a long time ago with this congregation. Though it was insignificant, let's remember that the Lord knows all things. So maybe insignificant at the time of the prophecy, but not remaining insignificant. The Lord knew that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and then the Lord made it known to us through Micah. Let's think for a moment about how prophecy works. A lot of times we think with prophecy that somehow God is predicting that something will happen. Is that what's going on with prophecy? It's not. So God is not bound by time like we are. God knows, as the Bible says, he knows the end from the beginning. So God knew, God could see Jesus being born in Bethlehem. He knew all about it because he's not bound by time. So he simply said to Micah, write this down now, about 700 years before the time of Jesus. Write it down now because I very well know it's going to happen. I've seen it happen already. God is not bound by time. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around that, but let's understand that with all prophecy. So whatever is prophesied, God has already seen it. God knows. So we should be absolutely certain about every single thing that has been prophesied, but yet has not come true. Let's know for certain it will according to the perfect timing of God. What can we say here about Bethlehem Parma? Well, I'm calling us a Christmas church. So by virtue of our name, we are reminding people of the location of where our Savior was born, and we are calling all people to repent and to trust in the babe of Bethlehem, who lived for us, who died for us, who took away our sins, who has made the way to heaven. And then it's said in the reading that he is from the days of eternity. I think you probably understand this already, but if you take a look at the image though, you can see down along the bottom that yellow line is a timeline, and then you can see the first green mark, that is creation. However, prior to creation, that is when the Son of God existed with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. So when it says that he is from eternity, see, when we come to creation, that is the beginning of time. So prior to time, that would be called eternity. So eternity is before time, when Christ returns, after he returns, then we will step into eternity, that will be after time. Now we could even say like up above the timeline, that is eternity, because God is living in eternity. God is not bound by time like we are. But the point here though, with Jesus being from the days of eternity, he existed even before creation. And then let's understand that God the Father worked through the Son to create all things. So the Son of God is so, so significant, but then it was about 4,000 years later 
when Mary conceived her first child, that is when the Son of God also became the very Son of Man. So that wasn't the beginning. A lot of people think, oh, Jesus just came on the scene 2,000 years ago and there was nothing before that. Oh, by no means. He is from eternity. Let's not forget that. So how can we apply the contents of day 10? Well, when I thought about it, I'm so thankful that God is controlling all things. Things aren't just happening by random chance. God is in control. And I'm also so thankful that the one born in Bethlehem, he is my savior, he is my Lord. I hope all of you can say the very same and rejoice in that with me. And then going on to day number 11 here, he will be the promised son of David. So many references to that in the Bible. We have a few of them right here in the reading. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11 and then jump over to Matthew. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And then going to the gospel according to Matthew. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, Matthew 9, two blind men followed Jesus crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. That brings us to the Kyrie, doesn't it? When we think about the Kyrie, that is based on this passage and other ones similar to it. The men who were blind, of course, they could not see, but when they called Jesus the son of David, they were expressing their faith. So even though they couldn't physically see, they had faith in him, their sins were forgiven. When Jesus came back to them and said, what can I do for you? They're like Jesus. In a sense, they could have said, we're so thankful that our sins are forgiven, but by the way, we would love to be able to see. And Jesus restored their sight. See, when we say the Kyrie, it should take us back to that reading. So each part of our liturgy should take us back to an important part in the Bible. And then going on to Matthew 21, now we are up to Palm Sunday. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we have various references to Jesus being the son of David. So I think you know this already, but David, he is the youngest son of Jesse. So he has many older brothers, but with the blessing of God, David became king over both Judah and Israel after the death of King Saul. So Saul was the first king, David was the second king, and let's understand that David was the greatest earthly king ever over Israel and Judah. But what does the Bible tell us over and over again? Another king will be coming and he will be a son of David. So he's going to come from the line of David, but he's not going to be an earthly king like David. He is going to be the king of kings. Let's rejoice that our Savior is the king of kings. And then I'm asking the question here, 
Which of these words describe the history of the world? So I'm giving you five options here. Planned, random, coincidence, purposeful, chance. Well, I made it so easy, didn't I? I hope you very quickly identified two words there. So the ones planned and purposeful, that's what's going on in the world. So many people are living thinking that things are happening randomly. They're happening by, happening by coincidence. They're happening by chance. Those things are not true. Let's understand God is in control. Let's understand that even when things seem out of control, Let's understand that God loves us so very much. God so very much wants us to have forgiveness through his son. He so much wants us to be with him forever that he planned it out in the most careful way. And he is working in many and various ways to keep us in Christ who know him and to call others to be in Christ who do not yet know him or who have fallen away. So what about the day 11 contents? How can we apply that to our lives? Well, this is what I did. I'm rejoicing that the promised son of David, I know who he is, and also by the grace of God, I am in relationship with him. He is my savior and he is my Lord. I hope you can also say, and you're confident in the very same things. And then the final day we're going to look at here in this sermon, day 12, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Now, this is talking about the Savior who is coming. When he comes, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. We are in Isaiah chapter 11 now, picking up in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. See, when we think about the Son of God, like I showed earlier, he is from eternity. However, though, there was a time about 2,000 years ago when he put on human flesh so when it talks about the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him, that's always been true regarding the Son of God. So the Spirit resting upon him, that came upon him as the Son of Man. That came upon him according to his human nature. And we might say, when did that happen? Well, think about Jesus He's living his life, and then he's ready to begin his ministry. He is baptized when he is 30 years old. He comes out of the Jordan River, and that is when God the Father anointed him with the Holy Spirit. So he poured out the Spirit upon him. So what the Father did is all these wonderful blessings of the Spirit, those were all given at that time to the human nature of Jesus. And they weren't just given to him for a moment, but they remained on him for the rest of his life and even for all eternity. So it's a way to take the human nature of Jesus and to take it up and make it so significant with the godly nature of Jesus. 
He's always been God in flesh, but now to take that human nature and elevate it to a very high position. That's what it's talking about here. And then the text goes on to say, he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, in other words, with his powerful word, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Well, it talked in there about the fear of the Lord, and that topic comes up in the Bible a lot, but let's see if we can understand it a little bit better. So regarding the fear of the Lord, there is a positive way for us as believers to fear the Lord. Now, for people who are rejecting Jesus, let's be honest, they should be terrified of the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So for those who are rejecting him, they should be terrified. Most are not. They are so deceived into thinking that somehow either there is no God or it's going to be okay with whatever position they're in. They're so deceived that they are not terrified. But if they could only see the full truth of the matter, they would be terrified. But that's not us, though. What about us as believers? Well, to fear the Lord in a positive way, what does that mean? To fear the Lord in a positive way is to trust in Him, knowing that we are in need, trusting in Him as Savior and Lord. And then when we do that, God works a desire within us to want to keep His commandments. It's a natural response to knowing that in Christ we are forgiven. Consider this important passage here, Psalm 111, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, this is talking about the positive fear of the Lord. What could we say if someone is not trusting in the Lord, then they are not wise. Instead, they are fools for rejecting the Lord. I mean, he made us, he sustains us, our eternity is all wrapped up in him. Uh, it would be so foolish to reject him. So let's be thankful that God has given us that gift of faith. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then it says, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Maybe when we're like baby Christians, we're not doing a lot of the commandments of God, but we are learning them. And we do have a desire to do them, but we don't really know what many of them are, but we are learning. And as we find out what they are, then we're trying to put them into practice. What can we say about Jesus? Well, he's the perfect son of God. He has the power of God Almighty. So he delighted in the commandments of God and he perfectly did every one of them. What about us? We are growing up in Christ, so we are learning the commandments more and more. We want to know them. We are convinced that they are the best, and we are trying to put them into practice. 
And then it did talk about judgment in that reading. So think about a regular judge. When he decides something, a judge can only go by what a person says or what a person does. That's all a judge can do. But what about the Messiah, though? He is coming, and when he comes, he is going to judge. But let's understand, as the Messiah, his knowledge penetrates into every human heart. Nothing is hidden from him, so he knows whether people are sorry for their sins or not. He knows whether people are trusting in him or not. He knows whether people are being honest or not. He knows all those things. So he knows all of that, like right at this very moment, he knows all of that about you and me. And of course, on Judgment Day, no one is going to fool him. He knows everything now. He's going to know everything then. So thinking about that, knowing that Jesus knows everything about you right now, and he will know everything about you on Judgment Day, how does that make you feel? Does that make you feel afraid? Oh, he knows about my sins. I'm afraid of him. He is God Almighty, or are you at peace? Well, I hope you're able to say you're at peace and you really understand that you can be. So when I think about applying the contents here of day 12, this is my conclusion, and I hope it's your conclusion too. So even though I have sinned and Jesus is coming, I am not afraid, and here are the two reasons why. So important. Number one, on Good Friday, God the Father took my sins and put them on Jesus. Now, you might say, well, how could he do that? I didn't even live yet. I didn't even commit the sins yet. Well, remember, God is not bound by time. So God knows every sin that every person who ever exists will commit all the way to the end of time. See, so when Jesus was on the cross, he grabbed the sins of Adam and Eve. He grabbed your sins. He grabbed my sins. Even all the way to the end of the world, he grabbed every sin and he put them all on Jesus. Not only did he put our sins upon him, but then God the Father poured out eternal punishment upon his son for all of our sins. That's the first part. What is the second part? Well, the second part sounds a lot better. So through faith, and that's God-given faith, God gave us that gift of faith. Through faith, God put Jesus' righteous life on us. So everything horrible in us, God took it away and put it on Jesus and then the very thing we need from Jesus, the perfect life that he lived for us, that has been put on us through faith. That is why we should be at peace. That is why we do not have to fear. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, because of your Bethlehem birth, because of your connection to David, because of the Holy Spirit resting upon you, we are convinced that you are the promised Christ. 
Thank you so much for taking away our sins and opening the way to heaven for us. And all God's people said, Amen.